My name is Dr. Nate Shannock. And my name is Merrick Egber. Um, this is the official podcast of the Els for Autism Foundation for Autism. We call our podcast this because it's a play on our foundation's name. And Merrick and I are both terrible golfers. But we love how golf has become such a transformative tool to helping people with autism. When I'm not part of the podcast, I'm part of the growing research team. When I'm not part of the podcast, I'm an administrative assistant filling in the Gashavis department like Lou. I'm also autistic. This is our 31st episode of the podcast, celebrating National Disability Employment Awareness Month, NDEAM, with advisory board member Katie Santoro and Club of Ibis general manager Stephen uh, Logios. Um, both individuals play an important role in our discussion on disability and employment, so make sure to stay tuned for their interviews on part A of the podcast. What we hope to do is to present news and updates about our foundation, interviews, or feature stories that play a big role with us and with the community as a whole. Speaking of which, we also have our Today in the World of Autism segment where we posit the news and current events reflective of the world we live in today. Also, check our show notes for websites, resources, and other groovy things we would like to have on a written record for all of you for autism fans. But first, here are some news and updates about the foundation. First of all, tune into episode 30 to listen to our interviews with advisory board member, Dr. Stephen Shore, and my co-host and friend, Dr. Nate Chenock. They talk about the qualities of education, developments that are useful for the future of autism, and the qualities of the modern world. Make sure to also listen to the rest of the program to get an idea of what we were doing at the foundation during that time and learn something new about the autism community for our Today in the World of Autism segment. For October, we would like to embrace the global community. My blog article for the month will focus on how much autism is a worldwide condition and how we are planning to help the population with it. Please bookmark our blog archives for any new blog article that comes down the pike. This month, we are celebrating National Disability Employment Awareness Month, or NDEAM. It has been 32 years since the Americans with Disabilities Act has been passed, and we have made greater strides in giving individuals with disabilities work opportunities. Still, the number of people underemployed or unemployed with a disability is still larger than the general population. The more we show the value of our population with autism, the greater the march would be the true self-actualization. Through organizations like us and programs like the Autism at Work Program by SAP, that populations with disabilities matter. Thanks to all to listen, who are listening to us. Next, we just started up our movie night program again with our rec coordinator, Greg Connors, for our fall movie night. On Friday, October 18th, participants showed up at 6 p.m. to watch the movie Hogus Focus, which just got a sequel on the Disney Plus subscription service. We'll also have two more events Friday, November 18th, and Friday, December 16th coming up for people to participate. I'll refer to our flyer in our show notes. Our session two of programs for the autumn season are beginning for the month. That means time to catch up to dance, yoga, tennis, and golf as examples. Please contact Greg Connors to find out how you can register for session two of our fall programs. And lastly, our following festival will be held on Halloween, which is Monday, October 31st, which will be an autism-friendly evening with trick-or-treating a sensory-friendly haunted house and more. I'll plan to volunteer at our festival to get pied in the face and dunked in the tank. This will also launch the start of our fall food drive that will continue through November, where all goods will be donated to a local food bank. I hope it to be successful. 
So Nate, here's my question for your input. How have you celebrated Halloween? Well, Merrick, this may be the toughest question that you've ever approached me with on the podcast. Well, it sort of varies based on where I was living, how old I was. There's been a lot of different Halloween celebrations over the years. Uh, typically, um, these days, I will get together with some, some family and maybe some friends and rotate between one of my usual costumes, which would be either a cowboy, um, a ghost, or a mad scientist. Those are usually my, my three go-tos. And then trying to, to find uh, the scariest movie possible for that given year. And yeah, just celebrating with some spookiness. What about you, Merrick? So do you plan uh, the movie based upon what costume you pick? Like, for example, if you uh, dressed up as a cowboy, do you all watch From Dusk Till Dawn? <laughs> that would make a lot more sense than the usual process. But no, it's pretty, it's pretty random. And the last couple of years, we've watched the new rendition of the Halloween series with Michael Myers. So maybe we'll, we'll end up watching the, the most recent one, although I think it only got a 2% on Rotten Tomatoes. So we'll, we'll set the expectations pretty, pretty low. This is kind of a weird kind of thing in my mind, but it's interesting that the individual's name, that the killer's name in the Halloween series is Michael Myers, and there's the actor Mike Myers. And one of Mike Myers' first movies was in So I Married an Axe Murderer. So <laughs> I'm sure that someone will put up a story which basically has uh, Mike Myers becoming Michael Myers uh, after getting possessed by the spirit of the axe murderer who he married. I think it's a brilliant idea. My one concern is that if if Mike Myers ends up taking over the role of Michael Myers and he accidentally breaks into an Austin Powers accent, then, you know, that, that might take a, away from the scariness just a little bit. Well, that, that would be, uh, you know, they did parody uh, James Bond. So uh, why not parody? Oh, wait a minute. There have been two or three series of the horror movie parodies. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scary movie, Scream. Yeah, you can't really do that much else with that kind of concept anymore. Merrick, do you enjoy scary movies at all? That was uh, from Scream, the first Scream. Do you, do you like scary movies? Oh, I, I do you like You didn't those. remember that? I, I, I remember. Do you watch scary movies? That was from the first Scream. I, I like the the comedies, the parodies also, but but do you like actual movies that are that are scary? <laughs> okay. Um, one of my favorite horror films is probably the second Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Okay. 
I really, really liked the first one, but I thought that the implications of the second one were much more tragic and in a way better because to me, I see a horror movie. I don't think as much about whether it would scare me because usually it doesn't scare me much because I know that it's not real, but it's more about how clever the concepts are. Like, for example, my favorite movie of the year is the movie X. Um, they actually came out with a prequel, which was really, really good in theaters called Pearl. Um, and it's interesting because X came out in March of this year and Pearl came out like a month ago. So, and, and they're both high quality films, but the thing about X is that while it does have some cheesy horror movie cliches, there's a lot about it and there's a lot to it. And it also uh, saves many of the chills closer towards the end of the movie instead of just freaking you out every single second. So it's a very studied, very steady kind of film. Um, and uh, if you may guess, um, if I was to have a discussion about the themes and topics of the film, we would have to go to a, uh, how can I say it? Uh, two o'clock a.m. kind of broadcast. <laughs> the late, 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 late at night broadcast. Understood. I don't foresee us shifting from the, the early evening time block to the, to the twilight uh, hours on radio. So yeah, probably best not to share. Well, I was almost thinking about having a pun intended moment because you said twilight. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that I've used up the wordplay quota for the, for the uh, broadcast. And we're just getting started, folks. But uh, for me, though, if you were to, because you asked me how I celebrate Halloween, I usually don't celebrate it much. I don't go to any costume parties. I used to go trick-or-treating around the old neighborhood when I was a lot younger. But, um, you know, I, I don't usually celebrate it that much anymore. If I celebrate it at all, it's usually more attached to work than it is really to anything else. Like uh, at one point I went out to dinner at a very un-Halloween-y kind of place. Um, you know, I, I just I, I love candy. I love decorations. I love this whole thing with the supernatural. But it's not exactly something that I uh, participate much in. Gotcha. Yeah, well, I definitely want to check out the movies you recommended. And I have two. Well, actually, um, one of the one of my favorite scary shows or scary movies that I saw in the last couple of years was the, the Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. So if you're if you're like me and you're a big scare king, um, then th this is a definitely a, the kind of show for you. I did see like three or four horror movies almost like in a row, where I saw The Black Phone, mm -hmm. um, and I saw Barbarian. It was like, uh, and then I saw X, and I saw um, Pearl. So I've seen like four horror movies within the span of like one or two months. So uh, 
If, if anyone wants to ask uh, for my opinions about the horror movies of 2022, you can maybe ask me. I'll, I'll give some uh, ideas. Per, perhaps uh, a blog post in the near future. Merrick ranks the top horror movies of the year. It will creep you out. <laughs> All righty. Well, let's now, see. Sorry? Yeah, any more news for us today? No more news. Uh, all the news, it's fit, it's fit to speak. That's a take on the New York Times, all the news that's fit to print. For us, it's all the news that's fit to speak. All right. So our first guest for uh, today's episode of the podcast is Katie Santoro, who is a Miami Herald Silver Knight Award winner in the drama category. She became a Silver Knight after she was invited to Washington at age 16 to speak to members of Congress and the National Endowment for the Arts about the impact of budget cuts on arts funding. She's been an arts advocate for over a decade and recently became an autism advocate after a late diagnosis at age 24. She participated in Job Seekers and the SALT program at UM Card. Her favorite group is Women on the Spectrum Support Group. She babysits for a 12-year-old girl on the spectrum, and she hopes the future will be a world where clinicians have more accurate testing tools and knowledge to accurately identify women on the spectrum. Katie is the chair on the board of the Unicorn Children's Foundation's junior board. She has traveled to five continents with a life goal of visiting all seven, and she is a graduate of the University of Illinois and currently works full-time at Cardinal Health. Pleasure to have you on the show today, Katie. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, Katie, we're so excited that you could join us this evening. We're big fans of, of all the great work you're doing, and I wanted to start off uh, by asking you, so we know that you're a wonderful advocate for the verbal abilities of individuals with autism. Could you speak a little bit more about why this is an important mission or, or why you were drawn to this? Yes, because it's quite so often that um, like girls are not uh, diagnosed until later in life. I mean, I had a lot of classic symptoms of autism when I was a child. Um, like, for example, like I would rock so much that I actually fell off a rocking chair and um, had to get stitches in my head. <laughs> um, so, you know, I just, yeah, you know, and I had a lot of sensory difficulties, but I, uh, I spoke early. And um, that's often not really something people think about when it comes to someone, could someone be autistic, but also like speak early um, based on the boys social model of autism that, that we've had for, for, for decades. And um, yeah, so I, I um, you know, uh, it go, the story goes that I was at a, a birthday party and my mom was there and a bunch of parents were there and my mom soon to be friend. They weren't friends yet, but I was 
talking to her and telling her all about how my mom makes this death by chocolate cake and stuff. And I was so interested in this cake. I was obsessed with this cake. And uh, she she goes, oh, to the other parent, she goes, whose child is that? And um, they were like, why? And she's like, oh, because she speaks like an adult. So I just had a like really high verbal skills. And I was able to mask a lot of my symptoms. Um, you know, in elementary school, I was seemed as gifted. But as time went on, um, I started to fall behind, especially in middle school. Um, still was kind of like, okay. Um, but in middle school, um, you know, I, I had an IEP. They just said it was like nonverbal learning disability. I had a lot of different types of diagnosis, none of them which were autism, just like nonverbal learning disability, anxiety, um, bipolar disorder, just like a ton of things. And by the way, it's quite rare to diagnose a six-year-old with childhood bipolar disorder, but like I was. And if you talk to any psychiatrist, they'll basically tell you that that's baloney. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just feel like I love this mission, you know, because, you know, um, when I got to college and stuff, that's when obviously I was late diagnosed at 24. And ever since I was a little kid, I had an inner knowing that I was different. I just didn't know why. So if we can get gr girls earlier diagnosis, then we save an entire new generation who will have increased self-awareness at the much needed and value supports, um, such as Ellis for Autism or, you know, UMNSU card. Um, I'm very involved with the Unicorn Children's Foundation and those, all those resources can help people navigate things I struggled in, such as getting a bachelor's degree, which I did do, but it was quite difficult. Um, and, you know, I, uh, if I had the support, I, I, I would have not had to go through the merry-go-round. Um, or, you know, getting a job. And, and after the many struggles, I did get a job, uh, which I not only uh, got a job, I retained because retaining a job is very, um, a lot of people with autism, they can either not get through the interview process, or if they can get through the interview process, they get the job, but it's hard to retain that job. So, I mean, I've retained a job for almost one year and six months, and I still work there today, like Merrick said. And, um, you know, while I manage my uh, self-employed dog sitting business, which that Instagram is the playful pup dot dog sitting. And then <laughs> you know, later into college, I was in a sorority. And I, I um, if I knew I had autism while I was in the college years, you know, um, kind of going to later in the life um, uh, more recently, I think I would have had more than like two friends. But at the time, like, you know, making friends and masking your autism is quite difficult, especially when you don't even know that you have autism. So uh, at the time, uh, you know, an, an undiagnosed autistic girl, we can say that two friends was and getting into the sorority was quite a, a success at the time. So I just think that, you know, um, I, I really want to redefine the social model of what we of, of the model of what we think autism it is. It, and it, it is and it, it is a spectrum, you know. I babysit. It's funny because um, I do babysit a, a girl who, um, you know, she she um, she has a better memory than me, for example. But um, I have my memory is awful. And they say people with autism have great memories. Well, mine sucks. I, I forgot my shoes. I left the house. I left the house the other day without my shoes. So if your memory can't get much worse than that. So, you know, executive functioning difficulties, leaving the house without shoes. I mean, come on, people. How do you not notice that you're, you don't have shoes so anyways <laughs> um but you know she uh she struggles more with like you know speaking skills she sometimes says full sentences but not all the time and you know that I want people to know that it's a spectrum and that's why 
I kind of came out and was public about my uh, late diagnosis for that reason. And obviously I like to talk a lot. And one of my not great skills is, uh, is I tend to interrupt and all of that. And that could be the other side of the spectrum. People who, you know, going with the, they're very verbal, but too verbal, like going with the flow of the conversation is really, really difficult. Or, you know, you're interrupting, you don't know how to wait. Even my supervisors at work have worked with me a lot um, because I, I'm open about my autism. So, you know, I went from getting fired from a lot of jobs to now I'm open. So now that when, when I'm interrupt my supervisors, instead of being like, you're fired, they're like, hey, Katie, um, you know, you need to wait your turn or, you know, I, I wasn't finished yet. Or they're very like kind of a soft, tell me what I can improve on kind of situation. Hope that yeah. helped. Yeah. That's, that's amazing to hear your perspective. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really valuable mission that, that you're on. I think some of our colleagues at, at UM Card, you know, they say that if you've met one person with autism, well, you've simply just met one person with autism. And there's so much heterogeneity on the spectrum. So it's great to be, to have people like you who are helping to, to shift the, the image of autism away from this kind of one size fits all approach. Yeah. For example, if I can give you another funny social fact about this morning at work, since, you know, employment is such a big thing that people want to know about and retaining a job and all of that. Um, and, and, and well, disclosure for one has helped me. So because my, my supervisor knows I have autism, this is how this morning went. I walked in and I'm just overly social actually. And I'm talking to my supervisor and just chatting with him and, um, forget necessarily what the topic was, but he was busy doing something. But because I struggled to read body language, I had no idea. I'm just talking, talking. And he's, he's actually waiting, looking at me, waiting for me to like, stop talking and like, go do my work. But I uh, didn't realize that. And he, 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 he was waiting and being patient, seeing if I was going to realize, but he came to the, the conclusion that that wasn't going to happen because I couldn't read his body language. So he said, you know what, Katie, I'm actually really busy right now. I, I'm working on something that requires my attention. So he knows to give that verbal direct prompt um, to make the switch. Oh, you know, he's busy. I need to go, like, I need to stop. If that makes sense. A lot of neurotypical yeah. people can do that without needing a verbal prompt or like that directness. Yes, that is very interesting. And so another um, another question. So many of our listeners, they deal with a variety of anxiety issues. Um, we talk mostly about autism on this podcast, but we also do cover a broad range of mental health issues and also just mental health well-being. And so what are some strategies that, that you have or that you would recommend for managing anxiety? Yeah, I love doing yoga. I started yoga when I was 16. I find that that's really soothing. It gives you a lot of sensory input and um, like stretching and just calming. Um, child's pose. And I also like to pet dogs, um, you know, and I listen to Taylor Swift uh, kind of on repeat in my car. I don't ask me why. It's just you have to find what works for you. And listening to Taylor Swift very over and over again, that that always seems to help. And um, just know yourself 
And also don't overbook yourself because I tend to do that. I put a lot of work into everything I do. And if you overbook yourself, um, like try to do too many things at once, then that will obviously increase your anxiety. And also just like seek a therapist. I know that's a little taboo to talk about that. Um, but, you know, people have gotten a lot better about talking about that. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of therapy. And uh, I think that's a great resource. There's plenty of um, private therapists out there or like, you know, there's like they have online apps these days. So, yeah, all of that is uh, what I recommend. And then everyone's different. So do what works best for yourself. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that's very helpful to our listeners, I'm sure. And I know Merrick and I have talked about some of our strategies, which are not always as, as healthy as, as doing yoga. You know, sometimes we like to go out and, and eat a really good meal to, some ice cream. <laughs> to yeah. alleviate stress. Yeah, I went for ice cream the other day for my dad's birthday. And uh, I, I, I know Merrick is in uh, Palm Beach. But there's a famous place called Jackson's Ice Cream in Dania Beach in Broward. And that place is awesome. So, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. a little closer to Delray where I live, maybe. So I'll have to check closer that out. Closer to Delray. I mean, it's still quite a hike, but uh, it's super cool. They have like little amusement park rides and stuff there. It's awesome. And it's an interesting atmosphere. Awesome. Yeah. But Thank yeah, going you. for ice cream, you know, that might work for you. And for me, yoga works. So, you know. Yeah, I also would like to say a happy belated birthday to your father. Oh, thanks, Merrick. It was fun. It was a good time. I went with my boyfriend and um, yeah, it was nice. So. Awesome. So uh, my last question for you is, um, well, is there anything you are currently working on or maybe any written works um, that, that you would recommend for our listeners to check out? You know, how can we, uh, uh, how can we access more of your work? Yeah, most certainly. I wish I could say that I was like working on a book or something, but I'm not. A lot of people tell me that I'm a good writer, but I struggle with the whole organizational aspect of things or, um, you know, sticking to something. So I'm not doing that, but um, I can tell you that I may have some special news coming out, but I'm not gonna say just yet. Um, it's not time and I don't know, but fingers crossed. And I would, I would say to stay tuned to my Instagram for upcoming updates. Um, at autistic.thegreeklife or check out my Autism Speaks um, Adulting on the Spectrum podcast which was somewhere else that I was also featured and interviewed for or you can find um, some things like um, find me on uh, I think that that the Adulting on the Spectrum podcast I was interviewed for you could find on Spotify or you can look me up um, Tamika Bickham Bickham, she was another person who interviewed me to be on her podcast. Again, my Instagram is autistic.thegreeklife. And I would encourage you to follow my journey on discovering myself as a late diagnosed um, autistic female there. And um, yeah, check out my Instagram, give me a follow. I post a lot of uh, fun things there. And I also talk a lot about dating on the spectrum, which is a topic that a lot of people happen to be interested in. So. Yes, that is a topic we get questions about all the time. So yeah, um, yeah, that's a that's a great um, 
plug in everyone who's listening, please follow Katie on Instagram and I'm going to pass it on over to you, Merrick. Okay. So zeroing in more because it is national disability employment awareness month for NDEAM. Um, I will zero in more on the whole thing about employment and jobs and everything. So my first question to you is this, what are some important things you learned as an autistic adult while job hunting? Um, a couple things, be persistent um, and leverage your, leveraging your network is key to success. While I know that may be quite difficult for some on the spectrum, it worked for me and I found it very valuable and important um, for, I mean, being persistent paid off to get my first successful job after struggling so much. And then the second thing is leveraging my network helped me to get the, the job after because it was only my first job was a temporary job that lasted like nine months. And um, temporary is different from permanent employment. But when I leveraged my network, I was able to get permanent uh, full-time employment. And um, yeah, so those are the, my two tips. Okay. And uh, my second question is, how could employers accommodate employees with autism more? Well, I know that one of the biggest challenges where I work is um, I work, um, where I work, I deal with a lot of loud music on a daily basis. And, um, you know, just trying to stay regulated is quite challenging. Um, I'm capable of the work, but I have good days and bad days. Um, because unfortunately, in my case, I'm not allowed to use um, things like headphones, even though in my past job, I could. Uh, but this job's different. No headphones are allowed or that I just kind of have to manage or do things outside of work that will help me regulate, such as like using my swing and stuff. But um you know, I would like to see a world where there's a lot more like remote opportunities for those on the spectrum, because I feel like, you know, a lot of the things that we struggle with might be like sensory or environmental. And if you can work remote, like you might have just like a happier and more productive employee. But as far as being in the office, just talk to your, um, uh, I've experienced a lot of issues with like, uh, you know, co-workers not understanding things in the workplace. So maybe just like, you know, having educational talks or so a speaker come in and, you know, educate your, um, your employees so that they could be like, you know, um, they could be a team as far as including like a neurodiverse uh, employee. I feel like that's a good start is, uh, yeah, making sure your team um, is educated and accepted. And um, yeah, also the interview process. Um, I know it's very uh, taboo to, or a lot of people don't like to give the interview questions ahead of time, but um, having the interview questions ahead of time is super helpful. Um, I've asked for it before and uh, haven't gotten it, but that's okay. Um, you know, that's something that I'm still, uh, I would like to get, you know, like my next opportunity and I'm still working on that. I am very happy where I've been for a year and a half, but I feel that I would like to get, you know, the next opportunity and I'm, you know, getting the interview questions ahead of time would uh, help. Um, however, you know, just practice as you, you know, if you can't get the interview questions ahead of time and employers, you know, we don't see that for many years, just uh, keep practicing your interview skills. Um, Cause I, I felt I would never get better at interviewing, but actually I think over time, you know, if you do it enough times, you might improve a little bit. So stay positive.
Okay, and these are all really, really good tips. Um, so the last question I would have to ask you is, what could you say to someone who feels ready to give up on getting employed? Yeah, as cliche as it sounds, um, when you fall seven times, just stand up eight. That's so the saying goes, right? I've heard that saying in the past, and I think it rings true because um, I was, um, before I got my diagnosis, because I was late diagnosed at 24, like right coming post-college, trying to do the transition to adulthood, get a job, be independent types of things, um, which I struggled with, and hence the late diagnosis. I was uh, fired from my first like seven roles, uh, as the story goes, and my eighth time was a major success in the healthcare field, and it helped me to land my current role, and that I've been in my current role for almost one year and six months. So um, I guess just never give up because, I'll, you know, uh, my mom kind of tells me that my life will be a series of people, um, whichever people are going to believe in me. And you just have to wait for that, that person who's going to give you a chance, which definitely happened in my case with my first temporary job. And um, there's going to be plenty of people that won't be that person, but it, all you need is one person. If you can find that one person who's going to believe in you um, and they'll be patient while you, if you take, if it takes you longer to learn things, maybe they're a patient person because I've experienced that. Um, and just, uh, yeah. And they believe in you that that will be a key resource to um, getting started. And then maybe from there you can um, once you have that experience, because a lot of times in employment, I've been told you don't have the, you don't have enough experience, but if you can get that one patient person that believes in you, then maybe that's the first step to getting the experience to show people what you're really capable of. So. Okay, all definite words of wisdom. So uh, thank you so much for uh, being willing to be interviewed um, and for uh, giving us your time uh, for your uh, wisdom and your knowledge. Yes, thank you so much, um, Nate and Merrick. It was great um, being on the podcast today. And um, yeah, talk to you guys later. <laughs> Bye. Thanks so much, Katie. It was great speaking to you and uh, you're, you're definitely an inspiration. Thank you, Nate. For this National Disability Employment Awareness Month, we'd like to take the time to thank our employment partners who have been able to have the heart and soul to help us in supporting a more neurodiverse workforce and seeing the strengths in the population with autism. Through our work experience program, our clients can learn what it is like to work for a real company, and if they want to, can be gainfully, gainfully employed by that same entity. Today, I would like to present the club at IBIS, representing them as the general manager and CEO, Stephen, um, how would you pronounce your last name? Logodice. Logodice. The club at IBIS is an award-winning West Palm Beach Country Club community a legendary reputation. Named after the graceful white birds that call Ibis their home, this 1,900-acre community consists of 1,864 homes of completion in 33 distinct communities with incomparable sports programs, including three Nicholas family-designed golf courses, the engaging lifestyle, beautifully manicured setting, and the all-new sports village and clubhouse, there is no better place to be. 
So my first question to you is, can you tell our listening audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Steve Logadice, as you said, and I'm the general manager of the club at Ibis. Um, I have been in the hospitality industry for 43 years. I started in hotels and restaurants. Uh, I transitioned into gaming, uh, thoroughbred uh, racetrack and a casino. And for the last 22 years, I've been in the golf business, uh, formerly with American Golf as a regional vice president of the private club division, managing 17 country clubs in six states. And for the last 15 years, I've had the pleasure of uh, representing the club at Ibis as the general manager. Okay, so um, based on your prior experience in the hospitality industry and also the gaming industry, what lessons did you learn from the industries that you can apply to the club at Ibis? Oh, many. I mean, obviously, any freestanding operation is where you uh, cut your teeth and learn how to uh, serve your, your customers and, and provide a great level of service. So that helped transition into the club industry where we're dealing with private members, members who come in every day, probably two and three times a week, four times a week in some cases. And what's great about it is we need to learn our members' names. We need to learn our members' likes and dislikes to ensure that they have a memorable, pleasant experience because they're going to be coming back every day. They own the club. They're members of the club, and they like to show their club off to their friends and colleagues and family. So why did you become the general manager for the club at Ibis? Well, I was living in Portland, Oregon, uh, managing, as I said, 17 different clubs around the country. I was traveling a lot, and I had an opportunity in 2007 to interview for the club at Ibis. A former colleague of mine was the individual recruiting. And when he explained to me what the position was, what the club was, the reputation of the club, oh, by the way, coming from Portland, Oregon to South Florida was uh, pretty appealing. I came down and met the, uh, the staff. I met a number of the members and just fell in love with the club and fell in love with the opportunity. And so my wife and I decided we were going to relocate our family of two young girls down to South Florida. And we've never looked back. So... Um... Can you tell us how you became a partner with us at the Els for Autism Foundation for the Work Experience Program? Yes, my former director of service excellence, Mandy Long, had uh, approached me and said that there was an opportunity for us to work with Els. We went out and looked at the facility. I can share with you uh, the Els Foundation facility is one of the finest facilities I've ever seen. Forget that it's for uh, autistic children. The facility itself is spectacular and a great opportunity for, for um, uh, that population. And then we went over to PGA National where they had done the work exchange program and got to see it in action. We got to see uh, uh, young individuals in the cafeteria. We got to see them out in the, in the uh, cart barn, helping the uh, outside services. And we just felt it was a great opportunity for us to one, give back to the community and two, help some, possibly some of the younger individuals who might not be given an opportunity because they have autism. And we just felt it was the right thing to do. And I would share with you, it was one of the smartest things and, and most rewarding things that we've ever done. So how have employees with autism transformed the workplace? I can give you a very funny story. Uh, we have a young lady down in our employee cafeteria who does an amazing job. 
Um, she is there every day making sure that the cafeteria for the staff stays clean. We feed about 400 staff a day in the cafeteria. And what's interesting is we have all adopted her. She is a sweet young lady. But what's funny is the staff now go out of the way to keep the cafeteria clean because they want to help her. Whereas before they would just leave stuff wherever, just like you do at your house. And so by bringing her, by bringing her into our organization, not only have we given her an opportunity to, to learn and grow and feel good about herself, but we've actually, the staff has really gone out of the way to help her as well. It really has transformed our cafeteria. We also have some folks out, out in our cart barn helping with uh, laundry and helping with um, greeting members that come to the club to play golf. And it is just so well received when members are introduced to them and realize that, um, you know, they, they are uh, autistic and they are trying their hardest to, to make a difference. And our members have really appreciated and adopted these young men and women uh, here at the club. So it sounds like the old uh, expression, a rising tide lifts all boats. Without question. Without question. It really has... Um, it really has been uplifting for the staff, for the members, and more importantly, it gives these young men and women an opportunity to participate in, in, uh, in our organization, in the workplace, and feel really good about who they are. So my final question to you is, why should more employers hire individuals with autism? Well, all I could share with you right now, there are so many restaurants and hotels and clubs with, with openings, meaning we can't find uh, staff. I'm not sure what happened. Maybe it's the great resignation. Maybe it's that the hospitality industry has probably been the hardest hit from COVID. I would urge anybody who is looking for staff to give these young men and women a chance. Uh, the training might take a little bit longer, but once they get the task they are some of our best employees. I probably did, should have said early on, we have a young man, Noah, who's in our kitchen. He has been the employee of the month two times. He is absolutely amazing. Once he gets the task down, he is absolutely amazing at it. And so it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to fill a need for us. And it's an opportunity to fill a significant need for these young men and women who are just looking to be like everybody else. Well, I thank you for taking the time with us, Mr. Lodgedice. Um, and uh, we really, really appreciate your efforts at basically transforming the business world into a more equitable place, but also one that uh, really uh, gives off the respect and dignity of the neurodiverse population. Um, Really, really appreciate it and love everything that you have done with us and can't wait for um, to see more. Well, I could share with you, we've been talking about it. We will continue this program. Um, I believe Mr. Ells and, and Mrs. Ells are doing an amazing job and they should be thanked for their efforts. And I would tell you again, it's really rewarding, not only for uh, the individual's but it's really rewarding for us here at the club too. So it is our pleasure and we will continue to do so hopefully for the long term. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, Merrick. Take care. Have a good evening. You too.
could fly so high, oh, like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, oh, like a butterfly. A moth is a butterfly without any colors, but what's beautiful is what's inside. Maybe a moth is just a butterfly trying to hide. Well, I'm just a caterpillar crawling around. Knowledge in my head, but my feet on the ground. Soon I'll be like an angel in the sky, like a butterfly. I wish that I could fly so high, oh, like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, oh, like a butterfly. Like a bird, I was meant to soar. I will fly through the sunlight and even when it pours, you can't stop me when I get a hold of the wind. In the future, your eyes will light up to think that I was once a poor cat and pup. We'll grow up and take to the sky like a flock of butterflies. I wish I could fly so high, oh, like a Fly. I'm flying through the air so high.